Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Ancient Office Hours by the Ozymandias Project. Trireme Transit is now boarding for all new and returning passengers. Now departing, present ponderings. Next stop is... Ancient Office Hours, at a library lost in the sands of time. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of Top Ancient Office Hours. I'm excited to bring you all an extremely fun conversation between myself and the glorious and wholesome human, Michaela Jill Murphy. However, you may be more familiar with her childhood stage name, Jessie Flower. That's actually the name with which she's credited for her most iconic voice role of Toph Beifong in Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender series. Michaela has continued to act and sing on various projects, but last year she launched her own fashion line, Bandit Basics, which was inspired by her Avatar character. I was really looking forward to speaking with Michaela, not only because I watched Avatar when it first premiered in 2005 as a 10-year-old, but Toph is my favorite character, and I'm an earthbender. We chatted about Michaela's growing up without cable TV, how Yale's library values manuscripts over humans, we compared theater in the US and UK, addressed the differences between creating and acting, and she talked a little bit more about the story behind creating Bandit Basics. Toward the end of the episode, Michaela's adorable puppy woke up and started moving around, so you may hear some doggy noises in the background that were just too adorable to cut out. This was a fun departure from our usual research and history heavy episodes, so I hope you enjoy this one. See you all soon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this is going to be super, super fun. I don't know why it wouldn't be. I always have fun <laughs> doing these, and I always have really great guests who are just so entertaining. Huh. <laughs> but so, yeah, I just I want to jump right in and ask you're an actor, but did you always want to be an actor? Or did you think you might want to do something else? Yeah, so fellow twin of mine today, um, I, I always liked performing. That was from day one. I, I was technically singing before I could talk. I was humming to lots of things. I, would, I loved trying on high heels and trying on clothes and dressing up and doing a whole, I was into it, into the creative performance thing. However, I didn't really think it was a long-term career option. I thought I could do it when I was younger and I was like, oh, this is fun. This is a cool hobby, which is a very like, you know, conservative family mentality because it's like, oh, that's the thing you do for fun. And then you go to the real job. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'm, I was trying to think of things that I wanted to do. And my grandfather had a really intense surgery when I was like seven, he had quadruple bypass surgery. So I was like, oh, I should be a doctor. Cause then next time 
I can fix him or fix somebody else's grandpa, whatever. So my mom was like, Ooh, good money stability. Yeah. That's a great idea. I'll support that. So um, I thought I was going to be a cardiovascular surgeon. So I was super math and science heavy in high school. I, for so long, I don't know why I was obsessed with UPenn. I didn't end up going there or even getting in, but I just thought I was like, I'm going to go to UPenn and be pre-med. Uh, I ended up going to Yale thinking I was going to be pre-med did not even go to one biology class. It just didn't happen. So I, I don't know if I just enjoyed being good at things and being told that it was good to be good at those things because they're stable and it's smart or whatever. But I ran with that for a while, um, probably like 15 years. Well, a little less than that, 12 years-ish. Just totally thought that, that was going to be me. And then in college, I was like, hey, I don't want to do this for the next... 10 years. And if I don't want to do this for the next 10 years, I don't want to do this probably for my whole life. So I should probably figure that out. So I found screenwriting, which was the most fun thing that I found at Yale, surprisingly, um, aside from me being in Rocky Horror and Wild Party by Andrew Lippa. Great shows, very, very fun. Loved that. But like theater classes weren't that fun for me. I was bored out of my mind most of the time. I was falling asleep. Very sad. But yeah, I found screenwriting, loved it, kept doing that, ended up becoming a film major as well as a theater major. Theater was, but film's great. So yeah, I graduated with that. And yeah, then New York, I, I kind of was just like, am I a writer? Am I an actress? I feel like I stopped the acting thing. Am I allowed to keep being an actress? I guess I am. I feel like I haven't done it the same way. And it's just been a whole fiasco and then COVID happened and then no one was acting. So it was just a <laughs> whole little arc. And here we are back in Los Angeles. Avatar went to Netflix and I filmed some silly like MTV promo commercial from my closet in Virginia last year. And so I'm like, okay, great. Well, maybe I should kind of do some voice acting again, you know? Um, so it's, yeah, it was not always the game plan from day one, but it's always been present and nobody is surprised from high school or from my family that I am indeed a performer. So there's your very long answer. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. I I think it's really interesting how people fall into where they do just because every person you talk to, some people are like me where we're oddly like, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know how, but but I'll get as close to this as I can. Yeah. And so that was that was me. I was the kid in sixth grade. I'm going to study ancient history. I don't know which one yet, but I will do that. And I'm not going to do anything else. And by golly, I didn't do anything else. But I think most people have that really long sort of circuitous, like, I'm going to discover myself and my passions and take that and figure out what I like. And I, that, that to me, it strikes as probably the, the more common sort of normal human path. Well, and I think part of that too is we might think the way that you do, but then we show up, we've done all the work, we show up at Yale, it's time to choose classes. And then the emotions just aren't supporting anymore. All of a sudden, the whole mentality just isn't on board. And it was purely that for like all of high school and the end of middle school. And then all of a sudden, your body's like not agreeing with you anymore. And you're like, what? Okay, so hold on. Why did I just sink so much time and energy into like making this happen? If that's not what we want. So then I'm like, oh, well, I shouldn't function that way anymore because clearly I'm misguided when I'm just like, yes, I'm just going to focus on that one thing and then just go and get it because then I completely changed my mind. So I feel like I used to be more that way when I was a kid. And then I was like, okay, but if you change your mind and it all blows up in your face, that's a little confusing. So perhaps take a little bit more time before we decide, try a few things and then maybe do that. I don't know, because the, the one track 
or two track, whatever mind is helpful because it keeps you focused, keeps you, you know, you know where you're ending up. It's a, it's a helpful thing to be articulated. So I think that's a good thing. Um, even though you're right, probably the more common path is like, oh yeah, I was like fishing. And then I like met somebody who owned a ranch and now I'm an interior designer for like ranchers in Australia. Yeah. Like that's, you know, <laughs> things happen like that a lot. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so I want to rewind just a little to a very young you. What kind of stories were you into when you were a kid? Were you into super mythological kind of stories like, you know, Percy Jackson types? Or were you more into like, I don't know, comics? I was allowed to watch G-rated everything and usually a lot of Disney. Didn't have TV. And so I was limited to the VHS tapes. Yes, VHS tapes, everyone, uh, that we we had in the house, which was a lot of Winnie the Pooh, a lot of the kind of Disney princess gambit, and then like some Fox and the Hound and stuff like that. So I was very much cuddly Disney, romantic from day one. I would like fall in love with people in one day, dangerous. And then, uh, you know, Harry Potter, before the movies came out, deep, deep, deep into the books. And anytime, yeah, I went to the library, straight to the fantasy section. Oddly enough, did not really get into Percy Jackson. I don't know why, if I just like missed when that started and I was already deep into another series or Harry Potter or something, but I just didn't hop on that train. I still haven't read them. Yeah, I was definitely not a psycho, psycho Harry Harry Potter, you know, obsessy, but I've read all of those multiple times. I made my own wand in my backyard from like a stick and tried to use it a few times. You know, I don't have like my, a robe or anything, but you know, I've, I've done my fair moments of, you know, integrating myself into the world or whatever. So probably Harry Potter's the most, I guess, recognizable name. So then the rest were just kind of one-off little fantasy stories about like magical deer and random things. It was great. But yeah, very fantasy romance chick. Yeah. And Sailor Moon though, early Sailor Moon comics. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I definitely sympathize with the uh, VHS tapes because I still actually have quite a collection in the other room. I have, (laughs) I I have like, you know, 30 of those things. And so when some of my younger family members come and see them, they're like, Ooh, what's this? I'm like, box. I'm just like, oh, I could take the time to explain. I was like, it it might take too long. Uh, And I was like, I don't feel properly equipped to explain this technology when I was a kid. So I don't try. I was just thinking, yeah, I think Percy Jackson, though, didn't come out until since we're around the same age. It didn't come out until we were collectively in like middle school because I read the first book not long after it came out and I was already in seventh grade. Okay. So that was like 2007 and eight. So, so yeah. we were like older by then. So yeah. it wasn't like Harry Potter where my, my dad would, would come in and, and read it to me growing up. And so, so I was all on the Harry Potter train as well. And I did all the, the things and I had like this, this Quidditch broom that I would run around in my backyard. And just, so when the neighbors would like yeah. look out the window, they would see me like running, zooming past on my broom with my little snitch. <laughs> Um, which, which probably looking back looked really ridiculous. Cause I had this in my hand and I was trying to pretend I was trying to catch it, but I was still ho- clearly holding it. Hey, whatever you gotta do, keep the dream alive, man. Keep, keep it alive. Well, everyone back then 
thought I was going to be an actor myself. And everyone told me, oh, you are so dramatic. You're the most dramatic person I know. You have to go into acting. It's for you. And honestly, it was so funny because when I was younger, I think I kind of wanted to, but then the effect of most people telling me that they thought I'd be really good at it and wanted me to turned me away from it completely. And then I was like, no. And then I like developed stage fright. And then I just learned that public speaking was like, not for me. So I was like, yeah, acting is not for me. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) so remind me, how old were you when you booked the role of Toph? I think I booked it when I was 11. And I recorded Mang on the cusp of 1011, I believe, from season one. That's kind of a little timeline there. Okay. <laughs> so, so fair to say you're still pretty young. And had you previously been into anime stuff? Whether it was comics and since you didn't have like cable, obviously, well, they, there weren't a lot of shows like that anyway, but. Yes, but no, it was, it was harder for sure to like get your hands, unless you went to a specific comic store and like really dedicated yourself to get like into a fandom no not not at all I found the uh I wish I like had them I think they're but the old black and white Sailor Moon comics I got because somebody gave them to me like their kid was like getting rid of a box of things and my mom was like oh sure great like why not let's see and I just like picked them up and ended up liking them but I didn't really think like oh there's a whole store probably of more of these because there were only four of them and other things that I might like that was never really a thing and I nobody in my family first of all is a performer or is into anything super super artsy or comic-y or fandom-y at all they're like teachers civil engineers that's it so (laughs) it's just not there's not I didn't even know so I didn't really get exposed to anything until I went to San Diego Comic-Con in 2014 and walked the floor and was like oh crap like there's a whole universe of just other things that exist very overwhelmed did not know which way to go I was like oh I'm just gonna go through every every aisle and just look at everything and then I don't even know where I'm gonna go from there I think gosh that was that that time I think I got like a bleach book and then something I don't remember but I always remembered like Yu-Gi-Oh being a thing that boys liked, you know, in middle school and stuff like that. So that was kind of familiar. And then I, yeah, Pokemon, that was, that was early on. I had a bunch of Pokemon cards, but I didn't realize that was also related to a whole genre of, you know, <laughs> everything. So, and it was really sad because somebody stole a big binder of them during a yard sale that we had. It was very, very sad. Oh, I know. And there were some nice cards in there. Now I realize because I'm older. I'm like, great, great, great. Okay. (laughs) And I liked them. I didn't want to get rid of them. I think they were accidentally in a box because there was so much stuff we were trying to get rid of. We just moved to California. And yeah, I was like, what? Where did this? (gasps) No. And it was it was a rough day for many reasons. We had like three people steal things. It was horrible. So, yeah early trust issues set in when I was like eight years old. <laughs> it's just like people suck. <laughs> yeah. So I really am still new because that was 2014 when I went to San Diego Comic-Con. Just didn't have the time to do anything new because I was in college. Uh, and then in New York, I was just worried about paying rent. I literally haven't like consumed much of anything new, whether it be film, I don't know, dancers, like music, I would say, is the closest, is the only thing that I've had time to consume new of. That's easy. You can just like put a whole album on your playlist and listen to it while you're on the train. Yeah, I'm 
a little behind. And there's so many movies too, because my mom was like, you can't only watch G until you're like 15. And then you can only watch PG until you're like 20. And I'm like, what's going on? Um, so there's so many movies that I also have to catch up on. So yeah, I feel like I like lived under a rock for a little bit, but that's good because I was super creative and very affected by like people's energy and thoughts anyway. So I'm not complaining. It's not the worst thing. <laughs> well, and now you get the magic of like discovering things that all of us have been exposed to from a very young age where it's like, I would give anything to be shocked for the first time by watching something, but you know, you just can't like replace it. And then you're like, oh, okay, well I'll watch it. Cause I love it, but I, I can't get that like initial shock and awe factor. So kind of jealous there, but okay. So, so now we're going to fast forward you from young you and your early work. Yes. We're going to fast forward you into college now. So when you got to college and you were kind of experimenting and taking your time and figuring out what you may or may not like, along with just knowing you're a very creative person and you like to do sort of theater and writing and all that together, do you remember Yale offering any sort of mythology or ancient history courses? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, you know, everybody's trying to be STEM now because STEM is the future, blah, blah, blah. But Yale is really... First of all, liberal arts, yes, but super languages, classical languages, divinity school, um, their English and writing and law programs, like they're very into all of that stuff. I'm like, yes, of course, you guys have billions of dollars, so you can become STEM heavy, whatever. But like you guys are really good at these things. So there were tons of Greek mythology people and uh, like French history people, like all sorts of just humans who technically like wouldn't be able to get a job with that degree types of people, you know, um, <laughs> that, yeah, would have so many resources because their library is just chock full. They've got the rare manuscript library that's, you know, temperature controlled in glass. They have like original copies of, oh, like some, some speeches from like Caesar or some crap, like stuff that is insanely expensive. And it's funny because there are multiple times where they're like, you know, it's always like a, a bit of a risk when you go into that library, because if there's ever a little, a, like a wisp of smoke, any sort of fire, the building is set to suck out all oxygen and lock all the doors so that a fire cannot start because that's how valuable this stuff is. So anybody inside will die because all of the oxygen will be sucked out and they'll just, they have to keep it locked down for like 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like, Okay, cool. So the whole, we get it. So human life is not as valuable as all of these manuscripts. It makes sense because there's a lot of history. Like there's lots of early, early like drafts of the Bible. Like there's all sorts of stuff. And so, yes, there were tons of people studying those things. And going back, I only was in there like a couple times, like snooping around, and I was like, damn. I wish I like had a cooler reason to be in here because I'm just like creating some films, but I feel like I'm not creating cool enough films. I like need to come up with more stuff. So maybe in the future, I'll have like a reason to like visit New Haven and go back to the manuscript like library. Um, yeah, that'd be really cool. But yeah, there are tons. Oh my gosh, tons of history and language and classics people around. I, I figured only because it is Yale and they do have one of the most visible classics programs in the country, something that a lot of schools, you know, would only dream of having. Uh, right. Also, I sympathize with that library though. I mean, I think, you know, we all learned our collective lesson when the Library of Alexandria went up in flames oh, and we lost I can't. precious that's, documents. I, that's uh, it's just like 
breaks my soul, which <laughs> every time I think of that, and I mean, not as much when I think of, you know, the library episode where it sinks back into the sand in Avatar, but similar vibes where it's just like, oh, come on. Did we, we had all, did nobody think <laughs> like crap? Yeah, that would be so, so cool to have all that stuff still, but. Hey. Well, I learned a fun fact the other day because I'm the nerd who just does all the ancient history things. So yeah. apparently they wanted the ancient library of Alexandria to have so many rare collected works that any travelers to the city, they would have like search parties of guards where they would go search you. And if they found any kind of rare or foreign manuscript, book, whatever you I had on you, they would take it, they would make a copy of it, and then they would give the person the copy and keep the original. Keep the original. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, you know, that could have been their well, grandma's like family manuscript. Yeah. And they just took it and gave you a copy. Okay. Well, maybe it all burned down because it was a little unethical. And then karma just had to come and like level the playing field. I don't know. It was so, yeah, so sad. <laughs> so, so in the, in the theater department though, is there any sort of encouragement to take classics courses because I personally would think that it would be kind of just sort of obvious that you know this is where all stories came from all of them started so I would think it's very important to get sort of a classical education I mean there's so many great comedies dramas like whatever it is they have so many amazing ancient ones so you know were you encouraged to take that or were they kind of just like mm, it's Not here but really, you don't have to. but it was kind of included you know they had a pretty chock full I'm forgetting what it's called syllabus when it came to kind of the intro courses and um theater pre-1800s you know stuff like that there were plenty of classes that offered stuff early on and there are lots of textbooks especially for performance that you know go back way to early early performance philosophy and you know execution that sort of thing so I think they laced a lot of it into their classes and then there were some that were a little more deep divey and some that were a little more modern and you just kind of got to pick and of course Shakespeare that they just kind of whack over everybody's head constantly but we already all know about him so um, <laughs> yeah they're not really I would say there wasn't necessarily a particular encouragement but there was plenty included especially in like the intro two or three required intro theater classes that you had to take if you were going to be a major so yeah I'm very excited okay. but <laughs> okay I mean hey I'm glad to hear though that someone was thinking hey well even if it's not required or, or even if we're not going to like push them to I'm glad that you had some sort of integration there where they kind of recognize yeah. that oh yeah this is a th this is a spot for good crossover here mm -hmm. we'll give them some of this even if it's not you yeah. know uh, yeah. exclusively yeah. a classics course which which was nice so then okay once you've graduated and you're now out into the working world and you're like hey I think I could you know move to New York and do this acting thing what kind of roles did you want to seek out you know was there anything that maybe you didn't get experience doing in college that you were like oh maybe I can exp expand and, and try to do this you know and in particular it's kind of like are there any mythological roles out there that you'd be like oh I'd kind of like to take this on so a couple things I got to study abroad one summer after my sophomore year I got to go to London and study at Lambda for a 10-week program and actually appreciate Shakespeare I don't like Shakespeare in America I don't like a lot of classical things done in America because we just stick to the language and we're all just sitting on stage talking to each other and I'm like oh my gosh this could be a podcast so 
I was bored for a lot of performances growing up in college in New York um, because the whole point of having something on a film or stage medium is to elevate it. It's like, we've moved beyond the page. Let us look at something visually. And a lot of people don't do enough of that. So when I was in London, I got to go to, um, you know, Stratford-upon-Avon and, you know, go see the Royal Shakespeare Company, blah, 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 all these things. And the set design, first of all, is insane across the board in London. So good. So good. Like, it's very obvious they spend so much time, effort, and money on the set because it is a crucial part. That's, it's a visual media. Everybody's there to come look at something. Deliver. Deliver upon that. You know, we're paying money for a ticket, right? And they know how to do that and integrate it into the story, into the characters, so, and sound design as well. Set and sound design were just revolutionary, honestly. And then like the bare bones version, bare bones, which was still great at, you know, like the globe where it's that old, you know, wooden stage. And so they've only got like three entrances, four entrances, whatever. And so there's only so much room for so many backdrops and things, but then the characters are so incredibly active. There's almost a, I don't know, a natural choreography because everybody's just not like, ah, oh there, where goes blah, blah. There's like a whole like set of movements that seem natural, but like definitely have been practiced. So I kind of learned, I just hadn't seen productions of classical works done the way that I enjoyed them. So I didn't think that I liked that genre. I didn't think I really liked Shakespeare. I didn't think I would like to be in something like Eurydice or like to be in Medea or like to be in any of these things because I thought they were boring. And on the page, I was like, oh, this could be cool. And then I saw it in real life and I was like, why would I want to be in that instead of Rocky Horror? You know, <laughs> why? So then I kind of understood why. And in New York, we're still in the American mentality of we're trying to make as much money as possible. So what is the what can we make interesting but not cost us too much of a fortune and still make a good profit? So I kind of came in being like, oh, maybe maybe I'll be more of a play person. I don't know, maybe I'll just still go for musicals. I still wanted to be in like, you know, rent or or a you know, version of newsies, like a little small tour somewhere, summer stock version. Wanted to be in Chicago. I'm kind of a commercial brat in one sense. I like Wicked, I like Rent, I like all these names. Um, I think they're good. <laughs> I know some people be like, ah, oh, but you don't like, I don't know, the leaf next to the rock from 1998. Gosh, you're not a real theater person. Um, that's, I don't know what that is, but um, yeah, I was pretty basic, I guess, coming into New York. So I had booked mainly contemporary roles in college, Rocky Horror and Wild Party, very contemporary. I played like Adina Menzel's originating role in Wild Party and was like, cool, maybe I could like follow some sort of track like that. Wouldn't mind at all. Because <laughs> now she's in Frozen. Hey, voice acting. Now a big one. But yeah, it just was not really clicking. I think my auditioning is not great. I get very anxious and lose energy a lot when I'm waiting for the audition when I get into the room, if I don't feel like the other person's happy to be there or is interested in me, I lose a lot of my gumption because I'm like, okay, so we're all just wasting each other's time. So yeah, I got called back for like Dear Evan Hansen tour, which is cool for like Zoe. Great. 
didn't get that. I was in a room with like literal 16 year olds and I was like, okay, I am 24. So I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was like, cool that I'm like still being considered, but like, wow, we are very different options. Um, so yeah, that was, that was really the only callback I got for something theatrical and theatrical on stage, not theatrical. Yeah. So I didn't, at that point, I was kind of like, maybe I, I don't even know if I have the right to say what I'm trying for or what I'm trying to audition for, because at this point, I'm just kind of picking the best song, I think, and just going for everything. Oh, I also think I'd be great in Rock of Ages, which some people like and some people don't. I love rock music, first of all, and think I would be a great Sherry. But yeah, that's very contemporary as well. So yeah, I don't know. I didn't really think about being like a classic like actor for like these plays. Um, and I would go and see them and be like, yeah, I'm don't, I don't feel like I would do a good job at this. I really don't. I feel like I just stand there and be like, I'm supposed to be serious. And I would just be very boring. Maybe not, but <laughs> I feel like I had a better chance like when I was in London because they have so much energy. There was so much life in these characters. And maybe I've just only seen bad productions here. Maybe it's just been like my, you know, my luck or whatever. But yeah, there I was actually enamored and understood what the intention was, which I don't, I rarely have here when I've, you know, seen a show. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I can understand that though, to a degree. I mean, I also studied abroad in the UK, although I went north to Edinburgh. So oh. I up in Scotland, very oh, yeah. different vibe, um, <laughs> but I loved it nonetheless. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I grew up with Shakespeare because my dad reviewed plays for a living, I suppose. And so he just brought me as a young child to all these Shakespeare's. And I guess I just, that's great. I was like, Oh, this is cool. But yeah. I would say that the vibe is different and, and nowhere can I say this about any, any place else other than maybe, maybe England. I don't know. But when I was studying abroad in Scotland, they were doing a stage production of Lord of the Flies. I <laughs> hate that book. I, yeah. I, I cannot stand it. Any kind of film adaptation, just no. Yeah. Um, and my friend was like, I've never read it. I've never seen it. Please come with me. I don't want to go alone. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go to this <laughs> again. But I was like, fine. I was like, this is not something you should see alone. So I was like, I'll be a good friend. I'll go. There was something different about it because it wasn't terrible like like I still didn't like it I'm not gonna come out and say I like Lord of the Flies but it was terrible <laughs> but it wasn't yeah. terrible so I understand that they yeah. it was, I don't know what it was maybe it was like yeah set design or like the way that they directed the, it was something different so I totally understand that it's it, it's different over there yeah. but if you had the power to choose any sort of classical material or adaptation in the world which one would you choose to try to adapt yourself in a way where you know you could make it better than the shitty things you've seen here? Well, see, I wish I had your your brain of all the options because I feel like I'm dealing on, you know, two hands basically between my options. I mean, I basically listed all the ones aside from Shakespeare that I, well, actually, Funnily enough, I thought Comedy of Errors was really boring until I studied it in, in London. And then I was like, oh, this could be really fun. <laughs> I was like, this could actually be really great. So yeah, I think I could make Comedy of Errors really fun because I, I what if it, did I see that one or did I see, well, I think I only saw Measure for Measure. 
I can't remember. Yeah, no, male so much for measure. But I think I could make comedy of errors really fun. There you go. I guess. Yeah. Hey, the there's. One. There are so many different. I remember I was like. 17 or 18 and it came to Chicago to the Shakespeare theater over at Navy Pier yeah, yeah, yeah. it was Othello and I was like oh no 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 I was like the book was fine I actually really enjoyed the book because of Iago yeah. and all that stuff but then I was like oh no 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 a production what kind of thing is it and then my dad was like oh you'll like this it was a rap Othello thing so oh, everything yeah. was wrapped and it was like all the costumes were like modern. They, like the dude was wearing ripped jeans. And I was like, what kind of Shakespeare is this? It what was the most fun time I've ever had. And I was like, oh, oh. I was like, please, can someone do this to like Twelfth Night? Right. <laughs> can we like, <laughs> well, and I mean, it's a great like influence, I guess, to see She's the Man as like turned into that movie. And it's like based on whatever. But it's, it's true. I mean, the concept is so rich in so many of these stories. And then people, I think, just get intimidated by the language and the whatever, the, the rhyme and the rhythm. And they get so caught up in like waiting for where the pause is supposed to be. And I'm just like, okay, can we like just focus on the story and the intention? Let's like throw some glitter on it, add some cool lighting, and then everybody swaps roles. Yes, let's do it. You know, <laughs> that's where the fun is. I mean, there's a reason they're called plays. It's supposed to be playful. And a lot of times it's just like static. And I'm like, if you're not playing, it's not a play. <laughs> Something is missing. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So I, I know we've been talking a lot about plays because there's so many great ones, but turning a little to the film and TV area yeah. of this, you know, we have a billion different adaptations of ancient, you know, epic poems and works and all that stuff from the Brad Pitt, Troy to the new Netflix, Net Troy, Fall of the City, the Elizabeth Taylor, Cleopatra, all the different Clash of the Titans versions that they've made, which I can't keep track of because everyone keeps doing it right down to like the Disney Hercules, which I did mm -hmm. grow up with. Yeah, it's great. I would like, love to find Meg in like a musical. Really? Really? Oh my gosh, that would be so much fun. Are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, because you totally just answered. I was literally going to ask, out of all of those, if there was someone you could totally play, who oh, would it be? Well, yeah. Well, because they've talked about making a Hercules musical anyway. That's been in, in talks for a while. Because, you know, Disney is on the run of like, we're making everything a remake and a musical. That's what we're all doing. And Hercules is on that list because it's so popular. So many of my guy friends are just like, Hercules is the best movie ever. And I'm just like, okay. And it's like across, there's so many of them. So they'd have an audience for sure. And oh my, Meg is, I'm like around a good age. I'm naturally Bruno. I can like get that out. I get it. I guess I'm technically not Greek. So somebody might be mad because I'm Irish and I'm not Greek. So I don't know what casting might do when it comes to this whole scenario because that's where we're at right now. But so much fun. So sassy. I look good in purple. I'm sold. Like, <laughs> hey, you've sold me. So if someone wants to like take this, do this, cast it. Right. <laughs> you have someone who wants to play Meg. Although I think it's hilarious because when I talked to Gray, she also said she would love to be Meg. So I find oh, it. Yeah, she is so sassy. I mean, she's a, she's a Zula. Of course she'd love to play Meg. <laughs> Meg is already technically you know, evil due to love, but like, she's already on the underside of, you know, <laughs> of the world. So right in line. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, I mean, it's funny because Gray and I both saying, I don't know if anybody else 
really sings from from the cast. I mean, Dante does he like his spoken word and he does some music stuff, but he doesn't like sing sing. Yeah, I think Gray and I are really the only two. We're the two like singy people. I don't know if Gray dances. I don't think so, but like I've seen her informally dance. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, sure. That counts. <laughs> if you dance at parties, you're a dancer, right? That's yeah. <laughs> we'll allow it. Okay. Would you say okay, so so is Toph really the most sort of mythological fantasy thing you've done to date then? World of Final Fantasy or something. I played a bridge troll and she had like little wings and a cute like cone nose and she's like this weird little ethereal thing. So technically character wise, she's probably like the most non-human. But as far as storyline goes and like being in an entire other era having different universe rules and standards and whatever probably trying to think if anybody else has been either magical or flies or anything like that but I don't think so I think everybody else has just been kind of a normal human which is great but yeah I mean I brother bear too I was technically the human version of like the female bear but that's sure but that you know that's not a whole entire universe and and episodic so yeah yeah avatar is definitely the most I guess, completed world that is its own thing. Yeah. 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 And how would you say that the experience of getting to voice talk, breathe life into her, make her so sassy and fun and, and she's just this powerful little thing, you know, how did that influence you going forward as a performer, as a creator? I can't tell if it's good or bad or indifferent, but I feel like when you're in the middle of doing things, you're not really thinking about them. And I was 12, 13 as well. And when you're younger, you think about things differently slash not in as much probably. So I, it didn't really like affect, I wasn't like, wow, I could breathe life into this character. I'm so grateful. And maybe the, maybe I should feel that way more, but I feel like I don't usually think that way when I book something, whether it be on a TV show or on stage or for a short film, whatever, it's more like, cool, I like this story great like I'm gonna like memorize all this stuff like I just want to like get to it I want to like get into the booth I want to get onto the stage I want to get into it because I really enjoy I really the act of acting actively being in the moment and like playing through the scene is kind of what gives me joy because I I'm playful back to this whole play thing I really really enjoy when I have great teammates castmates who are fully in it with me and who are comfortable with improv, comfortable with comedy, comfortable with one thing going wrong or something falling off the stage or, you know, somebody adds in an ad lib and they can just roll with it and grow with it Um, because then you're creating. And at the end of the day, that's really what I am. I am a creator. I'm a creative. I like to infuse my own opinion, my own version into something, not just be like, oh, great. Like I've been deemed this thing. Like I am a part of your project, which yes, but also it's like, cool, I get to like put my version into it and I get to like be a part of the process as opposed to just being picked, if that kind of makes sense. So it didn't necessarily influence me to think about myself differently, think about my career differently, affect really any part of my my ego, if anything. Yale made sure to kick me in the face and be like, don't get too confident. Um, <laughs> there are all these other people who have more money and are smarter and have all these other things. I'm like, I got it. I'm loud and clear. We're good. Um, and so, yeah, it 
I'd say this last year with it coming back to Netflix, because it was there apparently for like a month or a few weeks early on, somebody told me they were like, it was here for a second before and then they took it off. And I was like, really? I feel like I missed that. But appreciating it more so because it has longevity, which is honestly, I think one of the not rare things, but one of the things to appreciate more so about a project because in real time, project is great, people are great, people appreciate it, yay. But if something then comes back, there's kind of, you have no control over that. You can't force people to like something or to love something. You can create it, you can work on it, you can release it, but you can't force somebody to want to rewatch it again in 10 years. And so there's something kind of magical about that because it's like, cool, nobody really prompted anybody. You know, Netflix bought it probably for way too cheap based on how many people watched it. It just, people just kind of absorbed it. And that was cool to see as an adult and with social media kind of being alive because it wasn't back when I was 12. <laughs> because I got to see everybody actively loving it. And that part, I appreciate a lot. And that part affected me kind of being like, hey, you've felt a little interesting being like a performer, but like, look at how cool it is when people like what you, you know, create and release and whatever that's just incomparable same thing at the end of a, of a musical when people love it and you know standing ovation not whatever but like the people that you talk to afterwards that were just like wow that like you you were like perfect for the role I was just so enamored the whole time like all these just seeing your effect is like a drug that you get addicted to because you're just like wow that's so cool I just like made someone's day or made someone's week where they made them you know think about their life differently and then they're like yeah I was thinking about quitting but like seeing this happen like it just re-inspired me to like keep going it's so cool so I would say that the rebirth kind of of fandom and new people who got to watch it um is more inspiring than the work that I did early on because early on it was just cool comfortable kind of you know this very positive awesome experience that we all thought was just going to kind of be like oh yeah people like will watch it and like it and then it'll be over so yeah that it's been more of like a recent probably inspiration than anything else yeah I mean I think that's really cool but also like kind of picking on your theme of how you see yourself definitely as like a creator you want to take something and then definitely create forward that kind of ties perfectly into do you consider at all I mean the fact that like what you're doing now in the context of, you know, how stories get transmitted, how they gain longevity from the past. And so, so things that we study in school, like, like Shakespeare and even the older works. So when you do Aristophanes, any of his comedies, or if you're yes. doing Euripides, you know, we think of those now as, oh, these are the classic myths and legends. But when looking kind of back at your body of work so far, especially Avatar, do you consider these like, hey, this is a contemporary myth and legend in the way that do you think that it'll have the sort of longevity where, you know, 200 years from now, do you think it's going to be the kind of thing that people are like, I'm going to redo this and redo this the way we redo Shakespeare because it's like this, it's it's got this like magical lasting power that somehow like, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's different, right? Yeah, I think, it, well, it's interesting because the growth of, animation specifically and film has kind of allowed us to take these ethical moral 
again, kind of farce, whatever storylines and give them a lot of detail and color. So I don't know if the basics, the classics will change because technically they're used in Avatar. It's just a completely new universe. So I don't think somebody's going to take Avatar and then redo it. I think they're still gonna base their new world off of those, I guess, internal lessons and turmoils and confrontations um, because you could probably trace all of the moments in Avatar between Aang and Katara, between Katara and Toph, between Zuko and Iroh and you know his father and all these things, same thing with Star Wars, back to kind of early classical examples. So I don't really know if stuff that's been produced in the last like 20, 30 years is going to like be the new standard. I think the classics will probably always remain the classics and then there are just gonna be more examples that will inspire other people to create their own versions. But I don't think people are gonna be like, ah, yes, I'm going to, even though I understand they are continuing to make <clears throat> jillions of Star Wars and Clone Wars and whatever spin-off everywhere in every direction. And, and they might still remake them just because they want to, but I don't think anything is changing. There's nothing that new coming out of it. It's just a continuation of the exterior world that people like based off of the same ethics codes and, and you know, learning moments that are in the classics. So I don't know if, I don't think the classics are really going to change. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. I, I don't know if they will. It's, it's going to be interesting uh-huh. to see, um, you know, what sticks, what doesn't, do we just like add more things onto, and then it becomes part of the pantheon of classics. Uh, yeah. Those will be really interesting things to, to watch and see as they evolve going forward. So one thing that I, I like to sort of just briefly touch on is for humanities, especially. Yes. <laughs> I'm so distracted by dogs. I love that. He apparently just woke up. <laughs> oh, continue. So one thing I briefly touch on is funding for humanities because they are always just getting the short end of the stick because yeah, STEM is the future. You know, and we tend to just view it as this is what's going to make money. This is what's going to propel society to go on and be great and do things. And, you know, the humanities, whatever, they're old, they're tired, just shove them in a corner. So programs like the one where I came out of at the University of Missouri, Mm -hmm. we have downsized. We actually had to change our department name. So we're not even classics anymore. Very, very sad things are happening. Um, And so a place like... And in a place like Yale, obviously, it's a little different. Um, I don't think they're going to lose the the sort of funding. So to sort of like as an actor, as someone who's creative and as now a new business owner where you get to a lot of what you get to do is based off of a lot of this mythological and semi-historical, you know, show that you got to work on. So one of the aspects I look at is classical reception, which is, you know, how do we take and receive the classics what mediums and how do we spread interest in them to build interest in the actual original things right. and so one of the th- the threads that i've been seeing is okay so through starting your whole new business here like yeah that's awesome because people just love avatar love the material but it i also actually see it as a way of you're doing your own classical reception just people don't recognize it as that so can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what prompted you to start your company? Like why, I mean, we all love Avatar. So, I mean, I'm sure it could be an answer as simple as you just love Toph and Avatar. So you wanted to do it, but is there, you know, a whole story to why you wanted to start it? 
Yeah, I mean, every kind of thing that I do usually is backed by a whole bundle of thoughts and they all just happen to be close enough together that then I was like, cool, there's enough similar <laughs> vibe that I'm going to finally do this. A couple things. I was in Virginia sitting around wanting to be productive, right? And Virginia isn't my home. I was with my boyfriend's parents in their basement most days uh, doing things. So grand times. But uh, Dante actually is the one that really, really inspired me because I started doing his um, Honor Society Friday viewings to raise money for COVID relief. All was fun and dandy. And he mentioned that, you know, he was like, oh yeah, and like check out, a, we were doing like a fan art, like hoodie thing. And then, you know, we've got our Zutara shirts and something, something. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, did, you know, is that through Nickelodeon? Did you do that yourself? Like, what is, what is that? And so he's like, oh yeah, I go through this like company. They technically like do all the work, whatever, whatever. So I tried reaching out to that company. Yeah, I reached out and kind of tried to make that work initially. And it just wasn't moving quickly. And I was like, okay, this is really frustrating. And I also can't tell if I'm gonna have as much involvement with like the designs as I want and like, what are the variations of like styles and something. So it just got to a point. And unfortunately I'd like, gosh, what emailed in June? And I'd maybe gotten like two response emails and it was like September. And I was like, this is not gonna work for me, um, <laughs> not gonna work. So I was like, okay, I think I'm just gonna have to, if I really wanna do this, I'm gonna have to create an LLC or an S Corp or something, probably create a website. I'm going to have to make wholesale accounts. I'm going to have to find artists. I'm gonna to have to create designs. I'm gonna to have to come up with the designs myself, basically how it works is I kind of come up with the design very, very crudely. And then I wanted to find an artist to be like, please make this pretty. Um, and yeah, and it just, it all funnily enough happened over the course of one week because I was like, I've been waiting too long and I'm wildly impatient. I wanted to do this back in June and it's already fall. So I just got it all done in a week, set up the whole Shopify thing, made my first orders, created first design and found a local screen printer and found, you know, compostable, recyclable mailers and, and little sleeves to put the clothing in, just everything. There were so many aspects. And I was like, I understand why people don't do this. However, I currently can right now because I have time and my brain likes it. I'm a list person. And so it's simultaneously anxiety inducing, but also satisfying to have 75 things to do. However, I know that I'm capable of doing those 75 things and I don't have to wait on anybody else to do them. And that is wildly just great. Yeah, so, and, and it kind of came from Dante, you know, doing it as well, but then people being like, yeah, that's really cool. Like on one of the streams, like, is there any top merch? Like, are you, are you releasing anything? And I was like, I haven't, but like, sure. So it kind of just turned into this whole thing. And I've always wanted to have my own fashion line anyway. Not that this was the original thing that I thought was going to start it, but I, I, you know, I want Bandit Basics to also grow into more than just ATLA themed. Obviously the Bandit is still going to be there. So it's always going to have a little strain of, of Toph running through it, but earth friendly and sustainable and compostable being the vibe already great anyway, cause fast fashion and like you know, poly mailers, so many things that are just unnecessary um, and get shipped out a lot. 
great starts kind of want to expand to um to home living and like health as well for possibly like candles and like hair masks and like silly things that just don't really seem connected to toff at like the hot moment but are kind of like healthy earth conscious earth friendly earthy lifestyle choices um inspired so it kind of just grew into this thing where i was like well i would need to have my own thing anyway if i even wanted to grow into that because dante's company is just making hoodies and t-shirts so <laughs> i was like cool and it just kind of greenlit everything yeah so and, and it was great people liked the first you know line and it's really tricky to be like gosh will people like this but also i really found that whenever i pick something that i personally will like it goes well i was like i need to pick something that i want to wear comfort style design that i would enjoy and would actually wear um not that just be like yeah buy this thing and then like i never wear it that makes absolutely no sense it might be a smart business model because you're like catering to your masses but it it just doesn't it's not authentic and it's short-lived so taking the time to find apparel that is you know relatively across the board too because i've got lots of male and female and in between and others all across the board so finding something that does allow for any and everybody to wear it feel comfortable wearing it and you know this this summer kind of going into possibly more i don't know how this is going to change in like the future but i was going to say like feminine silhouettes but i don't i mean i guess it can just be like slender silhouettes i'm not sure like what we would necessarily call that but like i love top's bathing suit I want to like create that one day because I want to wear that as a bathing suit. But I'm pretty sure none of my like male identifying followers would buy top swimsuits. So like, how does that work numerically and size wise and price wise? I don't know how that's going to work. So right now, everything is very much like any and everybody can wear it and it works. Um, but at some point, I do want to get more like actually top specific with like swimwear stuff because I want that. So. <laughs> we'll see what happens but yeah it's it just kind of happened really quickly because other people third parties weren't responding quickly and i was like well just do it yourself you know just like lots of people say if you want something done you gotta do it yourself so there you go <laughs> hey i completely understand that uh you know it was a little different for me but when i was kind of looking around for classical podcasts, history podcasts, things that bridge the gap, talked about the applicability of ancient studies majors and kind of the whole shebang. Like no one had done that. And I was really annoyed because I was like, is somebody going to do? And I was like, I don't want to wait for someone to do this. I'll, I'll create it. I'll do it. So, so when I started the podcast back in August, when I first really started working about it, like it was just kind of natural. So I totally get that sort of progression where you just get an idea and you're like, okay, well, let's see what it takes. And then you do it and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. and it's interesting. So, okay. So obviously we start with the TOF basis and the whole avatar connection. That's just what people were wondering and asking. And it's a beautiful fit. Really. It is. Have you considered maybe in the future, like what kind of vision do you have beyond just in terms of home care or whatever, in terms of like thematically, you know, it's not Mediterranean world classics, but, you know, these are using Asian themes and things. So there's a billion like Asian historians out there who would probably love to be like, oh, I study ancient China or ancient Korea, whatever, who's like, I would love this cool design from the Joseon period or something really random <laughs> that I have 
that I'm not licensed to speak about because I don't study. <laughs> but there's some really cool designs that I feel like would be super compatible with Avatar. So have you considered like maybe in the distant future you'd eventually collaborate with someone to spread more like Asian reception for ancient themes, modern themes, whatever? I, I mean, that sounds great. I'm honestly very, very open for the future. I'm trying to just focus on this hot second because there's so many moving parts still. Also with Avatar Studios happening and we're doing a, a reading with, with Jenny and Jack. We're reading from Tafei Fong's Metal Bending Academy comic in May with Dark Horse Nick Lady, which is great. So I don't know. That sounds great because I like designing new silhouettes and collaborating with artists and collaborating with other people who have a beautiful fabric or, you know, knowledge about like the type of silk that we'd be using, you know, all that stuff sounds amazing. Is it applicable to me in the next month or six months? Probably not. So I haven't <laughs> fully expanded because I tend, I get ahead of myself very easily where I'm like, oh, great. And then I like do this in three years and this will be here. And then I'm thinking like 10 years ahead and not even focusing on today, which I've had to get better about. So that sounds amazing. And it's totally possible that I could end up at that point. I just don't know what the timeline would be or whatever, but like, that'd be great. I'd love that. <laughs> yeah, I know that, that, that one's kind of like a, a really hard theoretical long-term strategic plan item. Sure. Believe me, I get it. Cause we just had to do the same thing. Once we became an official LLC ourselves, we were like, oh no, we suddenly need like now to work, but also wait, strategic yeah. plans. Oh gosh. So I'm very familiar with that, but yeah, that that's just like a, Hey, you know, five years down the line, that'd be kind of cool to see, but you know, no matter where you take it, I think it's pretty awesome because I love all these cool Asiatic themes. I love taking the, all the influences from that specific mythology. It ties into, I have friends who are much more knowledgeable about Asian history, mythology, and that sort of all those time periods that would probably know way more than I do but <laughs> like it, it sounds great so if you are listening and love Avatar watch this space is what I'd say there you go hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Attention Trireme Transit Passengers. Today's episode is sponsored by Bandit Basics. Order Avatar Universe-inspired merch from Twinkle Toes Socks to Beifong Metal Bending Academy Apparel at www.banditbasics.com. Listeners can use code OZYOFF, O-Z-Y-O-F-F, for 20% off all apparel excluding restocks from Bandit Basics during the month of September. The store link and discount code can be found in the show notes. Thanks. So at the end of every podcast episode, I ask each guest if they will read the Percy Shelley version of Ozymandias. So if you could read the poem and then just, you know, it doesn't need to be like the deepest, most eloquent thing ever. But just, you know, if you could tell us a little, you know, what is this poem? What does it speak to you in any, any way? Like, how do you interpret it? Okay, great. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Yeah, I think I did read this in high school because there, so, there are like little bells going off from early on. I mean, it's so small. My initial reaction is like, it's just such a tiny little bubble. It's like, oh, wait, where did it, <laughs> an antique land, where antique land? And then what, what was the conversation afterwards? Yeah, it's been so long since I've even talked about poetry. It's a good reminder. I should probably get back into that. <laughs> hmm. So I guess basically that I mean, my initial takeaway is that regardless of how wonderful your creation is, um, how mighty you are, how impactful you might be in the moment, it'll still fade away at some point. You know, there will still be another future, another creation, another power that will kind of come through regardless of how impactful you thought you were or how important you were or your works were. Um, and, you know, you will, you will technically be forgotten i mean somebody might remember you or stumble across something but i you know my initial takeaway is that all of us are not quite as important as we see even if we are important in a moment so that's my my initial thing i'm sure if i spent another hour on it there'd be all sorts of other things and i might change that initial reaction but <laughs> yeah that's my that's my first takeaway <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I think you did really well. I mean, you came really close to the heart of the poem. So for those who are not as familiar with this with this poem, the statue he's actually talking about is it's an old statue of the Pharaoh Ramesses II because Ozymandias ah, is yeah. the Greek version of his name, of his throne name, at least. And so, yeah, it, he wrote it right before, let's see, he wrote it in 1818, right before like a, 
one of the colossal statues of Ramses was coming, it was going to be imported from Egypt to the British Museum. And so yeah. he was so inspired when he saw it that he, he wrote this. And so the way I usually interpret it is it's a commentary by Shelley on the nature, like just the, the very fleeting ephemeral nature of political power. This great king thought his civilization would last for thousands of years eternity uh yeah we wouldn't even know about it if it weren't for the statue and he didn't even like make the statue the statue was commissioned by an artisan so you have to have help from little people and and it's yeah it's just it's a reminder to be to be humble it's a reminder it's what i would call a memento mori which is a reminder that you will die so you know that's kind of morbid but so so considering the poem kind of in this manner the last question i ask every single guest and it's my favorite question. If considering today's modern society, is there anything, it can be a person, a place, a thing, it can be a really theoretical answer, but is there anything you can point to that's sort of like a modern Ozymandias? Like what do we think is so amazing right now that's gonna be around forever that literally like a thousand years from now, is it really gonna be that great? Mm. One thing. I know that's the hard part, right? (laughs) I can give you like 50. You know, I can't tell which direction we're really going to go. And this is, you know, it probably not going to, to change anytime soon, but I think our current form of what wealth means, i.e. money, i.e. a paper thing that is not actually a tangible item or that can't actually bring joy in its for you know itself uh just as like a stack of paper i mean some people bring this joy but it's about what it can do for you not about the actual thing so i think that will change because that already was such kind of a kind of a fast change in one sense uh you know we we're still trading i don't know this is because i can't think of anything else trading three chickens for you know some fabric in the 1800s that still happened Nowadays, everything is tied to this value of this paper thing, this kind of inanimate assigned worth. Uh, and I think it, I mean, you know, who the, who the heck knows? I'm not going to be alive for it, but it'll go out of style again because it's going to get so much to a point where everything is just about this dollar thing. And I think inflation is just going insane that it will get to a point where people are going to be sick of that. And they're going to be like, you know what? No, I want this house. Why don't you just take my car? And then, oh, I can get you an acceptance to this place and whatever. And then why don't I just get your house? You know, it's good. I feel like it's going to get to a point where people are tired of dealing with the currency that has been deemed normal by the government and by society. And people are not going to want to function under it the same way anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. And then aside from that, obviously, just like, I don't know, big lips will probably go out of style again because they came in, <laughs> they came in real fast and. Now everybody looks like a duck. So <laughs> Okay. That's I think the best hot take I've gotten. But... <laughs> and I'm not talking about natural big lips. That's great. You're gorgeous. That's amazing. Live your life. I'm talking about where it's like, why? Your face is tiny. What's going on? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wait, I love that so much. That is the, okay. That is the best hot take. So let's end on this amazing note because you, how do you talk for having me?
<laughs> you can't top this. So again, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, it was just such a such a pleasure to to be able to talk about all these cool things and hear about what you're doing and you know where your business is going. And finally, where can people find you? Oh, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Michaela Mostly. Thought that that was a cute, fun name a couple of years ago. Um, Michael with an A on the end and Mostly. And then if you want to check out the website and check out some tough inspired merch, www.banditbasics.com. And yeah, I mean, you can also Google Michaela Jill Murphy and there's a website full of fun things if you're really bored. But yeah, those are uh, those are the places you can find me. <laughs> Sweet. And I can drop the link to your website in the show notes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Trireme Transit is now departing ancient office hours. Next stop is Present Ponderings. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them on the sand. Half-sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias. King of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> <laughs> 